Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. To see you, um, I've got something a little different tonight. Um, I've no idea how this is going to work, but let's give it a go and see where we get to. I am stirred by different messages being preached over the last while by Siggy speaking on courage. When was that? A week last Wednesday, it seems. Time seems to get telescoped in all these things. Who was there for that? Okay, that was amazing. Roger here ended up speaking about dreams last week. Who was part of that process? We sat in groups and talked about dreams. And then Graham this morning spoke about rediscovering the local church. About the, about, he spoke about Hillside and Sons and what it means for us to be community and to be the local church together. And, and I, I want to share something tonight which kind of flows out of all of those things and goes in a bit of a different direction. But I want to start out with the, the dreams bit um, because dreams are incredibly important to us. And, and, and there is a challenge in Scripture which says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or imagine. And implied in that verse is a challenge to dream. God is saying, how, how big can you think? What's the most amazing thing you can think of because I can do more of that? And, and last week we, we shared something of our dreams and most of them turned out to be around hillside. But I want to give us a brief anatomy of a dream, how a, how a dream progresses. Um, and and it, it starts out with the, the expression of the dream. This is my dream. The realization, the, the crystallization, the penny dropping and saying, actually, this is it. And maybe it's an expression of desires that are held subconsciously down there, but it, it kind of bubbles up and maybe in communication with someone else says, actually, this is my dream. And the size of your dream really, really matters. The size of your dream really, really matters. If your dream is too small, then it means it's just something you could do anyway. So if you have a dream of going to the movies, for most of us, that's not really a dream. You've just, you just got to get off your backside and do it. You know? That doesn't count as a dream because it's too small. And sometimes we can have dreams that are too big. Have you ever heard that you can have a dream that's too big? You can have a dream that is so big that you have absolutely zero influence and bringing it about. So who here dreams of world peace? Okay. Now what are you going to do? What's your plan? You know, where does that start? Well, that's a dream that is absolutely enormous and probably outside of the scope of most of us to have any influence over whatsoever. So the challenge of a dream is to pin down this thing which is too big for me to just be able to produce. There are uncertainties, there are things I can't control in this, but not so big that it's nothing to do with me anyway. You know, we're very good at having dreams for other people to do. 
I dream that someone would give me the money so that I could. Okay, that's a dream for somebody else to do something. We need dreams for us to do stuff. And the next stage in the life of a dream is, is the purchase decision. Because there's many, many dreams that sit there at the stage of being written on a bit of paper or held in conversation with friends, and they never, ever go any further because you never make the purchase decision. And the purchase decision is when we pay the first instalment. We go, bam, there we are, I've taken a step. I've done it, I've made a move, I've stepped out towards this thing. The purchase decision is when Jesus says to Peter, follow me, leave your nets and follow me. And Peter is, do I, don't I, do I, don't I, do I, don't I. And he makes a purchase decision into an amazing dream. The second stage can occur fairly quickly after the first stage, and that is the reality check. When suddenly we discover this thing has costs attached to it that go way beyond what we initially imagined. There's virtually no dream works out cheaper than you planned. Let me promise you that. Every dream is going to demand more of you, cost more of you, cost more of those around you because your dream impacts on other people as well. And we want to know what the heck is going on here. And a lot of people will pull back at that stage and say, no, 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 this thing is its just too much. It's altogether too much. Some will pay the added price and say, no, this thing is worth it, and they will push through into what might be a quite long period of working out and working towards this dream and seeking to make it happen. But then we get the third stage, which I've called confusion, which is where we forget what it was supposed to be all about. So you have started a new school just down the road, Lorraine, and two years down the road, it's kind of like, why were we doing this? Have you ever thought that? What was this all about? You know, what, what was the dream? Was this it? You know, confusion is like we set out to build a rocket ship to go to Mars, and somehow we've ended up building a carport. <laughs> and how did that become this? And, and this dream got subverted somewhere along the way. And this wasn't what we got excited about in the first place. It's like we've forgotten where we were going, so we take what we've done and we say, let's just repurpose it. What can we do? We've got something, you've got a bit of sheet metal here. That's as far as we've got in our rocket ship. Well, we could make a carport out of it. Okay, well, let's do that then. And suddenly this dream has become that dream over there. We got halfway and we forgot what this thing was all about. Hey, let's, let's just return to Egypt. It wasn't bad there. They've got meat there. That's nice. It's better than where we're going. Promised land, I can't remember what that was. It all sounds too, too expensive. So tonight, really, my emphasis for us is on repossessing the dream. And I think there's a whole pile of people sitting here right now whose dream has been stolen from them in the confusion of life. And you're not quite sure how it happened. 
but you know this wasn't actually what you dreamed of. And it takes courage to say, no, this isn't it. This isn't what it was supposed to be about. It was about something more than this. It was about something which stirs me a whole lot more than this. And I want to repossess. The enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And he robs us of our dreams. He takes away the enormity of what we set out to do and causes us to settle for something substantially less along the way. Anybody got a dream that needs repossessing? Okay, one, two, three, four. I'm sure there's a whole lot more if we were more honest. So tonight, I want to just take that thought. And the fourth stage is obviously accomplishment. It's when actually we do, get, we do land on Mars or whatever this thing is. We've, we have done this thing. We, we have built the tallest building in Africa or we have, we have started a school that has transformed the face of education in this land. We did it. We got there. We didn't just start a school. We have a... I'm just trying to guess what Chris's dream might be. I've no idea. You can tell me afterwards. But, but we got there, we got all the way, and that is absolutely amazing. But I want to take this idea of a dream needing repossessing, and I want to talk about us right here, right now, sitting in this place, having a Sunday evening meeting. This is the Sunday evening meeting. So I want to talk about the Sunday evening meeting and repossessing our dream light of fire deep down in my heart. Graham spoke this morning about the local church being under attack, um, particularly in, in the sense of consumerism, that people have a liberty to drift in and drift out and, and whatever, and that's never what local church is supposed to be about. But th this, this thought comes to me that as much as the local church has been under attack, even more so within the local church, the meeting, the church meeting has been under attack as well. And, and it's, it's come in various different guises, various different thoughts. Um, there is the, the communitarian attack, which says actually what really matters is community. And, and all the singing stuff and preaching, well, that's, that's nice, but... but the substance of church as a community. So actually, if we just had to prolong tea, that might be a better deal. Maybe we should do that. Maybe that's what this thing is about, just building community together. Then, then so, so that's the, 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 the communitarian kind of attack on the meeting. Then there is the, um, the activist attack, which is... Church should be about going, not gathering. Okay? Yeah, this, it's not about bringing people together, it's about sending people out. We want to be that church. And implied in that, and, and I agree that community is amazing, I agree we must be sending people, we must be going out. But implicit in it is a devaluing of this thing called our meeting. I'm talking to a Sunday evening crowd tonight, so it's Sunday evening, not Sunday morning. And add to all that, 
you can sit at home anyway and you can go to YouTube and you can get worship that is probably even better than our band. Even better than that. I mean, how incredible is that? Possibly. You might find. Hard to find. You might find. Pat says no. Is that right? And you might find a preacher. Again, it could be pretty hard to find. But you might just find a preacher who is better than me. Never. Never. Oh, thank you, Pat. You're my hero. That is absolutely amazing. So I want to talk tonight about repossessing the dream of our meeting. I want to restore value to this. And, and um, in fact, I'd, I'd like, can we put the lights right up? Whoever knows how these things happen, I'm totally ignorant. Can we just put the main things on as well? Because I, I kind of want to make a point. Thanks, Slimo. I want to make a point that we, we do this subdued lighting thing in here which kind of demarcates a line running in front of the chairs. There. There we are, they're coming. They'll be up in a minute. Which says that that side is kind of subdued attendance. And maybe singing if you feel like it or just soaking. Or you can even sit right at the back over there if you want because that's okay too. But, but there's a line here. And the, this side of the line is people that the lights shine on. And these are the people who do something serious in this meeting. And the rest of us are spectators, participators in a kind of a passive sort of way. And, and I want to say that I, we're getting some of the lights, not a lot though. I'm sure there's more lights than that. That, that we, I just want to say, I don't think that was the dream. Was that the dream? Was that what this thing was supposed to be about? What, what has, that's brilliant, that's amazing. What has our meeting been co-opted for? What's, what, what are the purposes that have been attached to it? And, and I think it has been repurposed for a whole host of different things. Been repurposed as a context for community. So we can come here and there's a whole bunch of young people who have a reason to get together on a Sunday night, which is great. And they can go out and eat together afterwards and others can meet friends and whatever. This is great. Doesn't it change everything? Suddenly, ugh feels like the day has arrived again. <laughs> but this is my point, that this is us together. This is not a performance from the front. I think our meeting has been repurposed as an opportunity to patch up bruised and wounded believers. So we have words of encouragement, words of knowledge, prayer for people who are struggling, and, and all these things are valid. Please hear me. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing these things. I'm not saying if you're struggling here tonight, we can't pray for you. I'm not saying we don't have community together. None of that. But maybe that wasn't what the dream was about. 
Maybe Sunday evening meeting has been about keeping the musos entertained because they really have nothing to do otherwise. They're really bored. So they need us to come on a Sunday evening so that they will have somebody to play to. No, I don't think so. Maybe is it a platform for aspiring preachers? So we can put some young guys here and give them an opportunity to have a go at preaching, which it is as well, and that's amazing. Are we fulfilling a need for people who need a church service on a Sunday evening because you must go to church on a Sunday sometime? And they were busy doing a cycle race in the morning, so the evening is their greatest opportunity. Is that what this is about? Is it a kind of just more religious consumerism where we have the opportunity to come and take the bits that are helpful for as long as we find them helpful, sing the songs we enjoy for as long as we enjoy them, and then maybe go shop somewhere else. So this is, for me, the dream. This is what this thing is about in its heart. And it, we, can, we can meet all those other needs as well. You know, that's, that's, I'm not being exclusive about those, but this, this is, from my perspective, the dream. And please, you can, you can add into this dream. It doesn't have to be that. But for me, it starts here that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says exactly that. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And those yous there are all plural words. God is not, he's not speaking to you as individuals. He's speaking to you as a collection of people. You are God's temple. Ephesians 2.22 says the same thing. So we're not getting confused here. It says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are the meeting place of God and man. There was a mountain on which the clouds descended and earthquakes came and there was fire and God came down to meet with man. And then there was a tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, and God's presence dwelt in there and it was a holy place. And then David or Solomon built a temple and that was the meeting place of God and man. But Jesus has made us today into that meeting place. This is, this is the direct descendant of the places where the priests could not minister because the presence of God was so strong. That is, that is who we are. That's what the scripture says. This, this, this is a holy, holy place tonight. This is a unique geography so if you are a good Muslim, you must do the Hajj once in your life and travel all the way to Mecca because that is a holy place. This is a holy geography right here. It's not the only holy geography, but it's one of them. And this is a holy place, not because the carpet is well endowed, but because God's people have come together. And, and in being 
his dwelling place, in being a temple for him, there is a relational dimension to that, absolutely. That we love one another. And love is part of what holds us together in being his temple. But there is also a spiritual dimension to that. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And there came the sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God's dwelling place has moved. He's no longer in the temple. And the curtain's been torn anyway. Suddenly he's moved down the road. And he's in this upper room with the 120. And the fire of God is there. And this is the new dwelling place of God. This is the new house of God. And there is a corporate anointing upon Hillside Church. There is. And there are things you can do because you are part of Hillside Church that, interestingly, you would not be able to do if you left and went somewhere else. Because there's an anointing here that enables you to do that. Caleb could not lead worship the way he does in another space. Because there's an anointing here. I could not preach the way I do in another space because there's an anointing here. There's something of a uniqueness of God's presence in this place that we participate in. But there's also an anointing on the gathering. It's not just the general life of Hillside. There is something about God's people coming together that the anointing upon one flows to another and the life of the Spirit is released in this place. Every time through the book of Acts when we hear of the Holy Spirit coming, it's in a corporate context. It's not a personal soaking throne room encounter back at home. It is a corporate context that God comes in. So Acts chapter 2, 120 there in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit falls on them, bam. Acts chapter 8, Peter goes up to Samaria and lays hands on people publicly and bam, the Holy Spirit falls on them. Acts chapter 10, the house of Cornelius, Paul's sermon is interrupted. He can't finish his sermon because the Holy Spirit falls on the congregation before he's got to the appeal. And he says, what more can I do? The Holy Spirit is here. It's a corporate expression. In Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, Paul lays hands on them together and they all together begin to speak in other tongues. And there, there is a together thing. There is a being assembled in the same place that facilitates a release of the Holy Spirit from me to you and you to you and you to me and there's a flow that takes place. That's why I've put the lights on because this is not a, a one-way impartation. That's not the deal. The deal is God's people are gathered together and God's presence is in this place because you are here. I kind of wrestled tonight I arrived and... and and some of the most vocal people are missing. 
So there's no Graham and Daphne tonight, Roger's away, Gary hasn't been for a while, um, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe, let me leave that, let me do that another day, maybe I should preach on something else. And I felt really challenged by the Spirit and said, no, this is the people. It's you. And it's you when the loud people aren't here. Can, can you hear what I'm, I'm saying? This is, it's, it's exactly tonight. It's about every one of us. So there's a flow of the Holy Spirit. There are spiritual gifts. There are prophecies and there are words of knowledge and there are visions and there are healings and there are discernments and there are tongues and interpretation there's, there's, there's all that collection that we know about and there are supernatural manifestations because God is here in this place you can expect a miracle now we've just sung I think tonight I want to bridge the gap between the words that we sing and what's happening in us. And, and, and it, it feels like what happens in us has become a very private and personal thing. And, and there's a, maybe an individual, okay, that's, that verse meant a lot to me, but it's, a, it's a ministering to individuals, and that's great. But I think God is wanting to unlock something much more than that. I think there's a connection of one to another that is quite dynamic. So when, when we sing that the Spirit of the Lord is here, I want, us, I want that to have a meaning for us that goes beyond a purely personal application of what did the Spirit say to me. But actually, if the Spirit of the Lord is here, then we are to release His presence and His power on one another. That's what it means for us to be his temple. It means that there's an angelic presence because angels get really curious about this kind of stuff. And they come, they want to see what's going on because this is amazing. Maybe even a glory cloud. I would love a glory cloud. That would be so, so cool. It means that there's an extraordinary love not just that we love one another, but there's an extraordinary love, an extraordinary joy, an extraordinary peace, something that totally goes beyond normal experience and normal expectations. I think it's about something that far, far exceeds what we've ever seen. I think it's about something which is not merely aspirational. I mean, I'm not saying anything tonight that we've never said before. I'm really not. But, but it's about moving from the aspirational into the real. You know, aspirational is when you say amazing things out there that you hope one day will happen. And when I was growing up as a believer many years ago, we, we had aspirational jokes about the gospel being preached in the supermarkets. And, and actually today that is no longer aspirational. There's a reality to it. But something of the, the presence and the richness and the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst 
we have spoken about in aspirational terms. We, we hope to experience something of that. But it's time. If we lay a hold of this dream for the aspirational to become actual. And of course, it's about changed lives because God is in our midst. And when we behold him, we are changed and people are changed. And people will run out of fear because they are changed. So that's the first part of the dream, that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit with everything that looks like. And because this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, there is an adding that takes place. Because God is doing something here. And that's immensely attractive. People gather where God is at work. I want to be there. And part of the dream is that this place is absolutely packed out. Because God is at work here. And God is amazingly at work here. And, 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 and we built a huge place. And we kind of fill it ish some mornings. But in the evenings we don't. But, but why not? If God is at work here, why not? Why should it not be the talk of Highway Mail and Durban and whatever? Why should it not be a place that people come to go to see what is it that God is doing and then third, Temple of the Holy Spirit with just such a sense of momentum and growth. But third, that out of this place, the river of life flows. Ezekiel's vision of, of the, the, the river coming from the temple, it flows out of the temple. God is building a temple here. He, that, that is us. And this little trickle of life flows out from the temple and that trickle becomes a mighty river that changes the world beyond recognition. And that out of us being his temple, out of us, this, out of us being the place where there's such a flow of the life of his spirit in this place comes a river which unmistakably and amazingly changes the world around us disproportionately. So what's it going to require? Every dream has a price attached to it. How do we, what's it going to cost to get from here to there? And I've got three or four things here, four things. I think number one, it needs a whole new bunch of leaders. And I think God is raising up some new leaders. I sense that's what God's going to do in the next while but a whole bunch of leaders who, who have two things, who are A, carry an anointing for this thing and know how to release an anointing for this thing, but beyond that are also sold out. What does it take to be a leader in something like this? It takes someone who's sold out. Because we can't be, you know, you, you, you never build a rocket ship to go to Mars until you're sold out to it. You never get on a rocket ship until you're sold out to it because you, you ain't coming back, you know? There's, and, and there's, there's got to be that mission-intensive commitment in this place that actually we're not, we, 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 we don't just want... Yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but we can have a culture of, of revival. 
Do you know what I mean by that? We can sing the revival songs, we can use the language, we can have the books in our bookstore, and somehow we can almost sell ourselves the lie of what we're about. And, and I think tonight I'm saying, surely it has to be more about a reality of revival than a culture of revival. I don't want to stay there. I don't want to stay with the books and the frills and the packaging and, and the talking the language. I want the raw power of God in this place. So it needs a generation of sold-out leaders. Then it needs a critical mass of spiritual life in this place. It needs people who carry life because life ain't going to flow unless we've got it in the first place. It needs people who will arrive already drunk in the Holy Spirit, not waiting to get into worship to see what God does, but people who are out of control before they've even come in through the door. That's kind of what it takes. Chris Gore talks about people being drunctional, which is a cross between drunk and functional, which is not so drunk that you're useless to anybody else, but neither merely functional. But somehow between those two things, that they are people who have drunk enough that they've got life for others. Yeah, we drink enough to get by in ourselves, but I want to drink enough to have life for other people too. And then people who know how to manage their personal atmospheres. What do I mean by that? Well, people who know how to live in a sweet space and not under a cloud. Have you ever met anybody who lives under a cloud? They walk into the room and they bring their cloud with them. Hello, do you like my cloud? And it could be a depressive cloud, could be a critical cloud, could be a self-pitying cloud, it could be an angry cloud, could be a rejected cloud. You ever met someone who's got a rejected cloud? Nobody loves me. Who would? You know? I mean, why would they love me? And 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 you know, if 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 of a hundred people here. 99 are carrying clouds of some kind. We're going to struggle to be the temple of the living God. Can, can you understand that? So what this place needs, and that's a whole other lesson that Corin is going to come and tell us about one day. <laughs> sure, you could be amazing at that. What we're going to learn to do is how to manage our personal environment. So it would become people who walk in sweetness, who arrive with a pleasant fragrance that's not just the deodorant, but is something more than that. It's the fragrance of heaven. Because day by day by day, we know what it is to manage our personal atmosphere. Day by day, we know when something smells bad around us and we deal with it. Because we want to be that people who carry his spirit and release it freely to others. And then it needs people who will say no to sin consistently. 
As the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And he is not going to flow in and through people who willfully fall constantly. Now, please hear me when I'm saying this. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying if you have any problems whatsoever, please never come to our meetings again. Now, that is ridiculous. And I'm not saying if you've had a bad day, you must stay away. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is we need a critical mass of people who are not in that place. We need you here. We need you to be people who are releasing heaven in this place over people who are in need of it. The third thing we need is the wineskin of authentic relationship. We can't be purely, it's not about pure spirituality, it is about relationship. It's about speaking truth to one another, it's about loving one another, it is about dealing with issues, all those things that we've talked about many, many times. But the final ingredient is simply boldness. We need boldness. And there's no way of getting around that one. We need the courage to stand up from where we're hiding. We need the courage to open our mouth. Psalm 81, verse something or other, says, open your mouth and I will fill it. And it's kind of a verse about God's provision that he will feed us, but I think it's also a verse about how his Holy Spirit works with us. That we need to be a people who open our mouths and he will fill it. And the Spirit of God will begin to flow in this place in an amazing way. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.